The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mans, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Always glad to have you along for the ride and glad, of course, to be working once again with Nathan Miller. He makes sure that we stay in our lane. Today, we are remaining in Las Vegas. Well, remember the, the Haunted Mansion, that was something last week. Well, we're going to stick around in Las Vegas one more day here before we go someplace else in North America. We are going to visit the Neon Museum. Now, some people casually refer to it as the Neon Boneyard, and I guess they should because it is a central feature of this wonderful place in Las Vegas, but more formally, the Neon Museum. Founded in 1996, the Neon Museum is a nonprofit organization dedicated to collecting, preserving, studying, and exhibiting iconic Las Vegas signs for educational, historic, arts, and cultural enrichment. That's a lot to fit into this short show, but we're going to do our best. <laughs> Stick with us. We're going to talk to Aaron Berger. He's the executive director of the Neon Museum in Las Vegas. So much to learn. This is American Road Trip Talk, and we'll be back with the interview right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, Alert Drives will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get Alert Drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk. Still in Las Vegas, one more place to go. We're going to talk today to Aaron Berger. Mr. Berger brings to the museum extensive experience in museum leadership, nonprofit fundraising, and community engagement. Mr. Berger, who recently relocated to Las Vegas from Atlanta, Georgia, most recently served as the executive director for five years at the Bremen Museum in Atlanta, raising annual attendance by 32% and garnering accolades such as must-see destination by TripAdvisor and one of the best museums in Atlanta by USA Today 10 Best during his tenure. Now he is executive director of the Neon Museum, and in that role, you could say he also serves as a curator of what a local TV reporter called the Neon Ghosts of Las Vegas History. What a phrase. Welcome, Aaron Berger. We're so glad to have you on Trip Talk. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm thrilled to be with you today. Oh, likewise. Let's stop here for a moment. A personal note. I can just imagine because it happened to me. I lived in Las Vegas for five years. I grew up in Southern California, seven miles from Disneyland. That was one kind of difference and distinction when I moved to the next state over from where I grew up. 
You're coming from Atlanta to Las Vegas. Sticker shock much? As they say, the culture, <laughs> the culture shock must have been something else for you. The, the culture shock has been actually wonderful. It's really amazing to me um, how quickly a town like Las Vegas, um, we are the, the biggest small town in, in the country by far. Um, you know, within within the first week, I was meeting with the mayor, and and uh, within two weeks, it was the governor. And it's just it's a it's a community of people, of families, of of friends. It's a uh, it's a really easy place to just call home. I love it. I'm so happy that you have found it so welcoming. It was a very remarkable experience for me. I did live there five years, and then I've made many, many trips since because I have a family there, uh, one member of which is still in Las Vegas. When you're there, you're like someplace not comparable to anywhere else in America or even the world. And I'll tell you, Aaron, I think that's so important in terms of the urban archaeology, if I, if I may use that term in describing the Neon Museum, because what I sense, and I have yet to visit it, but believe you me, next time I'm in Las Vegas, I will be going there. This idea where it's part nostalgia trip, and part urban archaeology speaks to the this chronology, a long timeline of Las Vegas, where, as my old neighbor used to tell me, it's like Las Vegas gives itself a facelift every 10 years. <laughs> and the signs of that, the literal archaeology of that in terms of the signage, the iconic imagery is where you work and curate. Please tell us about the visionaries that made something like this happen. That, that is so that's such a beautiful introduction and and that it is you, uh, Las Vegas is a, a truly unique city in that because we're so hospitality focused um, we are constantly changing and evolving and innovating so so if you're a visitor who comes here for a convention once a year we want this landscape to change each year we want there to be a new opportunity for you and so with doing that that involves tearing down and building up and tearing down and building up. And, and what's the outcome of that is the Neon Museum. The Neon Museum has become the institutional memory of this city. Uh, so we date back to the 30s in our collection. Um, and the city was founded in 1905, but it, it's, uh, you know, our first sign comes from the 30s and, and really being able to kind of talk about the evolution of a city, as you said, like no other place in the world. And with so much to see there, it seems to me, because I remember way back when I was a senior in high school, I read a book by Alvin Toffler called Future Shock. And one of the themes of that book was that technology was going to bring about very rapid and accelerating cultural shifts particularly in America, and it was going to be mind-boggling, and the individual would have to adjust to all of that. Let mm. me give you an example, Aaron. I was absolutely thrilled to be able to get on a tram at the Mirage and then go right next door to Treasure Island, and I still have quite a bit of kitsch from there, including some of the things that, that they uh, used to create decorations, the decorum of the place when it was pirate-themed. Sure. Pick that up at the Salvation Army thrift store that my mom managed for years and years there. And they actually came to her store to get things to put up because you had to have your beads and baubles to give it that look. And yet I found 
in what seems to me to be a relatively short time. That Treasure Island is a great example of starting out as one thing and being very popular, and yet it alone got a facelift so that it's just not the same place today. But what happened to all the iconic architecture, all the art that drew people in? So so one thing that a lot of people don't necessarily know um, about signage is that if if I were to build a a a, a, a new structure in in town, um, oftentimes I build the building, but I lease the sign, and so the sign is actually owned by the sign manufacturer or the sign maker. Uh, so so the term boneyard, which you mentioned before, what happens is as these buildings come down or as they change hands or change personas, um, those signs go back to the original sign manufacturers and they go into what's called a boneyard. And those, that in that boneyard, that may be the spot where someone can go and pull an E from, from a, a different letter so that they can create a new sign or they can pull some of the neon that's in, in one of the units and, and put it into a new sign that they're creating. It becomes sort of a, a library, if you will, of, of artifacts that they can draw from. Uh, so what our, our founders thought of, and, and God bless them for thinking this way and being this forward thinking, is in the 90s, they started sitting back and saying, we want to make sure that these signs, um, these signs endure and persevere and, and are protected. Uh, so they, they started with negotiating with different uh, sign manufacturers and the Young Electric Sign Company was the first. Uh, a lot of people may know it as Yesco um, and sat down and said, you know, what can we do to keep these signs from being reused and repurposed in a different way? So um, that became our own boneyard and it was the first uh, we opened in our present location in uh, 2012. So October will be our 10-year anniversary, and I'm thrilled to say that we've gone from, you know, tens of thousands of visitors a year. We're now at around a quarter of a million visitors a year that come through and enjoy the, enjoy the nostalgia. Um, certainly, the people who want to see the Stardust sign or see the Hard Rock Cafe guitar sign um, or the Moulin Rouge sign. They want to, you know, have these moments that they can remember from their own experiences. And then for those of us that uh, that may not have experienced the Stardust, uh, they have a chance to see what, you know, atomic tourism is like and what were what were what is the history and what are the roots of Las Vegas? Uh, we have so many stories that. Uh, it will capture your entertainment and your your imagination when you come through. And with a strong aesthetic sense, that's what I look forward to when I visit there. You know, it's interesting, Aaron, because, and I want to say it was the Moulin Rouge. If somebody knows better, they can always correct me. But I can recall driving from Orange County, California to Las Vegas for a weekend stay. And on the right-hand side, on the approach to Las Vegas, you're not quite there back in the day. This probably was, I'm going to say, like the late 1980s. It seems to me that there were parts, like, like a hulk, a dry hulk in the desert of the Moulin Rouge, I do believe. And it was just dumped by somebody in the desert. It looked like it needed rescuing. 
And that's why God bless you for putting this together so that it's given the respect along with all the other exhibits that these places deserve. Well, the Moulin Rouge has a very important history in this city. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, of course, like many parts of the country, there was a there was a time of, of segregation here. Um, so we had black entertainers that would come and uh, be expected to to perform. They would certainly be paid to perform uh, on the strip. Uh, they'd be expected to do two shows a night and then work the crowd afterwards. Um, they weren't allowed to eat and they weren't allowed to stay in those uh, in those casinos on the strip. So Moulin Rouge was the first integrated uh, uh, hotel here in town. And what often happened was there was what we call a 2.30 show. So someone like Cab Calloway or Sammy Davis Jr. would do his, his strip shows at 8 and 10 and then work the crowd and then come over to Moulin Rouge. And, and uh, you never knew. He may just come up on stage and and do a quick set or Cab Calloway may do it. It would just be uh, an incredible kind of uh, treat for any audience member to come through and again, integrated in its uh, in its audience. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity not only to hear that account, but also this is a beautiful segue. What about the construction of, and I never made it to the place. I'm going to have to go visit you just to walk through the doors of the La Concha and the, the architect that created that wonderful structure. I would see it from the strip, just driving down the strip. I would look and see it, never made it in there. And now the structure, at least the superstructure of it Correct. and some of the lobby is your visitor center. Correct. So you enter into, so 98% of our experience is outdoor. Um, but you enter into the museum through the lobby of La Concha. La Concha was designed by an architect named Paul Revere Williams. Paul was uh, born in 1898. Um, both of his parents passed away, unfortunately, by the time he was four. And he moved into a home with a foster mother who was very strong on education. And she really believed in this um, and really pushed him. Uh, and he had a very early desire to be an architect. Um, and as a young black man, he was encouraged by those who saw his talent to not pursue architecture. They said that, you know, white community members will not hire you and black community members won't be able to afford you. We need you to go into another path. And uh, luckily he did not listen to them. He became a prolific um, architect of, of everything from uh, homes for Lucy and Desi Arnaz and Frank Sinatra to, uh, to the building that you discussed, the La Concha, which is iconic in its structure. It's a, an example of what's called googie architecture. Um, uh, the word La Concha is Spanish for uh, seashell. So it has this look like a seashell to it. Um, and it has just this really amazing um, uh, visual presence, which is what the owners wanted. They wanted a piece of a, a building that would draw you in from the street and stand apart from the other offerings that were on, on the strip. So um, it, at, a, at an amazing expense, we brought that piece and relocated it to our, to our current location. And as you said, it, it's now our, our welcome center. It's where you enter in and have a chance to start the transportation back in history. Great way to put it. 
And thank you so much for that, because all is not lost. When I come to visit you, then I'm going to be going through those doors and, and see a piece of Las Vegas history by a great architect, too. He also designed, as I understand it, the Guardian Angel Cathedral, which I believe is still up and running, up and serving. Correct. Uh, on the, it's just off the strip. I've been in there before. It's That's still there, right? Beautiful. Yeah. And that's part of one of the things that I think is so fascinating about him is is sort of the breadth of work that he did from again from from high end luxury homes to to um, working class neighborhoods. The West Side uh, is largely Paul Revere Williams homes um, to of course this this very unique um, uh, hotel property at La Concha. So he was incredibly versatile um, and really unique. He also at the time in the 50s and 60s, he understood that there were clients of his who would potentially be uncomfortable sitting next to a black man, a black architect. Um, so he taught himself how to draw, draw and design upside down so that someone could remain on the other side of the desk um, and allow that physical separation and he could still showcase his his designs for what he was trying to create. So um, luckily we've grown as, as, a, as a culture a lot since that period of time. But when you think of the talent in this one individual, it's, uh, it's humbling. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What I'd like to do, Aaron, now is to take the virtual tour. You could be the virtual tour guide here, Aaron, the executive <laughs> director himself. Sure. When they talk about the neon boneyard, is that not a, a centerpiece, but actually in two sections of the museum? So if you come through, there's there's really several sections of, of the Neon Museum as a whole. So uh, one part that I'm very proud of that, that we don't talk enough about is on Las Vegas Boulevard, there are nine signs um, that have all been restored that are all outside. You don't have to pay to see them. Um, that that highlight the silver slipper and they highlight the Hacienda horsemen and other wonderful kind of tidbits from history. So those are, that's one aspect. Then of course you have La Concha. Then you walk through the boneyard and the boneyard consists of about 250 signs um, in various states of um, repair or disrepair. Um, of that, we have 21 of them that are lit uh, we will actually have our 22nd sign that is going to be joining our collection this year and uh, will actually be lit this year. Um, so 22 and 22 is our is our big goal. Um, and with that, you get a chance to to understand a little bit more about not just the signs, the architecture of the city, but also the history and who's created them. So we mentioned the Moulin Rouge sign. Moulin Rouge sign was created by a woman named Betty Willis. Betty Willis was a pioneer in so many ways. A, she was a, a female sign maker, which is not something that was very common, but she's probably best known for the most famous sign in Las Vegas, which is Welcome to Fabulous Las Vegas. Oh. She created that sign and she did the Moulin Rouge sign as well. And the script that spells out Moulin Rouge is actually her handwriting. So it is, uh, it's a terrific kind of way of learning about these, um, how these things, these different parts of the city and the history are so interrelated. 
interrelated indeed. And there are these special things you can experience as well. Now, I understand, Aaron, that if you want to put in another half hour, you can experience a part of the tour that is described in one word, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant it is. Um, so, right, exactly. At the end of the uh, uh, Boneyard experience, you can take the opportunity to go through a, a separate gallery, we call it the North Gallery, that is designed by an artist named Craig Winslow. Craig has taken about 80 signs that are completely defunct. They are beyond a point of rehab. Um, and he has, by using 19 projectors, has been able to bring back each light bulb back to life on these signs. And he does it to an iconic Las Vegas soundtrack. So it is, it is a feast for the eyes. It is, um, to me, I always feel like we've got a win on our hands when we see people dancing and, and, um, and, and swaying to the music under a summer night. So it's a, it's a fabulous way to end your trip. I have a, a big logistical question for you, Aaron. There, I have driven the Las Vegas Strip at all hours of day and night. Yikes. There, I mean, when I first moved there, it was only crowded. My first exposure to Las Vegas was in 1973. And you go there today, and it seems the place has changed a bit. There, when you okay. drive through trying to get anywhere, how in the world were you able to get the La Concha, for example, and these other displays from point A to point B? That would be such a project. You know, it's interesting. We, we're very fortunate. We just accepted the Planet Hollywood uh, restaurant sign. And that sign is 25 feet across, um, and it's a monster, it's a, a, a globe um, with the, the words in neon saying Planet Hollywood circling around the globe. Um, so this sign, trying to get this to our collection, uh, we had to shut down Las Vegas Boulevard, um, we had to shut down uh, portions of the strip, and we had to transport it to us at 2.15 in the morning at the slowest part on a Monday night where things aren't quite as hopping in Las Vegas. But yeah, it takes an enormous amount of coordination to make these things happen. It really does. And you're not the first to discover it, my friend, because the late Kirk Kerkorian gave permission. I think there was a price involved. And why not? There, When there was filming of Ocean's Eleven, yeah. And they wanted to film an escape scene where, you know, the bad guy's running from the police and shots are fired, money flies in the air. In order to set all that up, it, it was quite expensive. And, and they were only allowed to do it after midnight. They didn't want to disturb the traffic too much, but there was a movie to be made. So it, it can be that way. Absolutely. So whether you're filming a movie or you're filming uh, uh, or just moving a, moving a monstrous sign, um, it is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think everyone who lives here is very conscious of not wanting to do anything that's going to disrupt a visitor's experience. So we want to make sure that they're having a great time at all times. Before we get to the uh, particulars about coming and paying a visit to the Neon Museum in Las Vegas, there, I'm just curious enough to ask out of all of that incredible wealth of architecture you have there, all of it eye-popping, which is your favorite piece? This is always so hard. It's like saying, which one's your favorite child? Um, <laughs> I have a, I, there is a sign that is, that is part of the collection that is um, from the Yucca Motel. And what I love about this is that it is, um, as a, 
I have an undergrad in art history with a specialization in architecture. And so we talk a lot about form and function. And, um, and this sign to me is a beautiful blend of both form and function. Um, so the, the sign itself is, is shaped like an arrow and points you into the direction of, of the entrance. Um, it has lovely, you know, the, the word yucca is in neon and, and beautifully done. Um, but at the top is the yucca flower. And so there's this artistic side to it, too. So, again, this form and function all coming together in this beautiful sign. Uh, it's just it's it's the one that makes my heart skip a beat a bit. I can't wait to see which one will be my favorite, which okay. you're just describing there maybe i have this wrong but it seems like it's more recent las vegas whereas now you mentioned the stardust which has been closed for years but not too many years compared to for example the hacienda now the site of mandalay bay there right. and there would be all of these places do you have the giant skull from the big pirate sign of treasure island we we do um, we do have the big skull from treasure island and and what's fun to do is to actually go to google maps and and zoom in on the neon museum and you'll see that skull staring up at you so um he is he is laying on his on his back um uh for structural reasons um because he is so so incredibly fragile but um but yeah that is a, it's a really fun thing to do we always encourage people just check out that google maps and you'll you'll see him smiling back at you that iconic image will be the front runner when I go to visit, but I'm going to keep an open mind because there's so much to see. Funny. Aaron, please give us a, there the skinny on how to get there, your website, how to get tickets, when to be there. Is it seasonal hours of operation? Go sure. for it. Sure, sure. Best thing to do is to always go to our website, which is neonmuseum.org. And there you'll find our hours because we are seasonal. We work by um, you know, we have a lot of shows that are available after sunset, so it depends on the time of day. Um, so that's the best way to buy your tickets. Um, we, as of uh, April 1st, we are starting new combo tickets. So you can see, have a guided tour and also have a, um, an opportunity to see Brilliant at a discounted rate. Uh, and we have children's pricing, which is also um, a new for us as of April 1st. So we really want to encourage families to come and be a part of the experience. So all of that's available. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, and, and I encourage everyone to come out and just have a great time. And I'm sure they will. Aaron Berger, Executive Director of the Neon Museum in Las Vegas. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope our paths will cross soon. I look forward to meeting you, sir. Me too. Thank you for the time today. A pleasure. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.